Uh, Church, this morning we are beginning a new series which I think has the potential to be contentious. Uh, Some will hear the title of this series, And Justice for All, and get giddy with the idea that pastors are suddenly going to blend the things of politics and theology. Finally, finally, pastors are going to say something about politics. Others of you have stopped listening because I've mentioned the word politics. You've had enough of it, and I get it. So let me be very clear from the outset This three-week series will touch on politics, but only insofar as it helps us to see, only insofar that it helps us to see that because of the political landscape in America, both progressive and conservative, those of us who want to orient our lives around the words and the ways of Jesus, we have lost the biblical understanding of justice. And by extension, the working out of that justice in the places that we live and we work and we play. So, let me be clear again. This is not this is not a series about politics, but potentially how the political landscape of America has made us lose our way. Now, I suspect that most of us are familiar with the phrase and justice for all since it comes at the end of what? I'm actually asking, what what does it come at the end of? The Pledge of Allegiance. That's right. The first version of this pledge was written by a Union Army officer in 1885. And in that very first edition, the phrase, and justice for all, closed what was a relatively short pledge. Now, most scholars believe that George Bollock's pledge was a head nod to the preamble of the U.S. Constitution, where we, the people in order to establish, in order to establish justice, do ordain and establish the Constitution for the United States of America. And interestingly, in the 51st Federalist paper by James Madison, he proclaims that justice, justice is the end of the government. Now, he doesn't mean end like the government's gonna come to an end, but rather that justice is the goal. And while all of this is true, whether we're talking about the Pledge of Allegiance or the preamble to the U.S. Constitution or the Federalist Papers, all of it fails to answer what justice actually is. They all mention it, but they never define it. Justice, simply defined, is getting what you're due. Getting what you're due. A justice, then, for founding fathers is every person getting life, liberty, and the pursuit of what? Happiness. And the goal of the government, James Madison would say, is to ensure that no one is oppressed or kept from this, from life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. 
Now, friends, while I believe this was the intention of the founding fathers, our definitions of liberty and of justice in today's culture have shifted dramatically. Liberty, for the most part, more often than not, means simply a license towards self-centeredness and a freedom to do whatever the heck I want. While justice has been reduced to mere punitive or retaliatory action. And so, what does that mean? If that's the context under which we understand justice, what does it mean then for you and me? For those of us who are trying to orient our lives around the words and the ways of Jesus, who are doing our best to follow him as we live out the kingdom on earth, in the places that we live, work, and play? Are we, as Jesus' followers, supposed to be about justice and about liberty and about freedom? Do we believe, do we believe at the very core of ourselves that justice is for all? Well, friends, over the next three weeks, we will unpack this very thing. Today, Today we're gonna submit to the prophet's words, to Micah's words, to do justice while we walk attentively with God. We'll define what biblical justice is and recognize that it is rooted in the very nature and the character of God himself. Now in week two, we'll observe Jesus lambasting the religious elite for their failure to do justice even though they were doing a host of really good things like tithing and praying. And then in week three, we'll address the very real, very current, and very ongoing battle of racial justice as we look at the picture of what is to come. So over the next three weeks, we'll discover that justice is not, it is not some obscure verse in the Old Testament, but it is actually a whole Bible practice that demands both our attention and our action. And friends, this, this is what takes us to the prophet Micah. So. Let's go there together. You will definitely want a Bible this morning, so you can grab the one that's in the pew or the one that you brought, and we're going to go to the Old Testament to the prophet Micah. It's a short book, so it's really easy to skip on by. Now, friends, don't be afraid to use the table of contents if you need to. It'll give you the page number where Micah starts. If you're doing it digital, then just I don't know, thumb your way there, right? Micah chapter six, Micah chapter six, and we're gonna start actually at verse eight, which was the last verse of the reading that Tammy read just moments ago. So Micah chapter six, and we're gonna begin at verse eight and work our way backwards this morning. So as you're finding that spot, a couple of details. The prophet Micah is considered one of the four great 8th century BC prophets. Uh, More often than not, however, Micah is overshadowed by the other three of that same century. You have Amos, you have Hosea, and especially his Judaite neighbor, Isaiah. 
In fact, Micah is often considered, quote, the forgotten prophet. Uh, however, however, if Amos, Amos is kind of considered the prophet of justice, Hosea the prophet of love, and Isaiah the prophet of holiness, Micah, interestingly enough, brings all of those things together. He brings holiness and love and justice together, specifically in a verse that we'll look at today, namely verse 8. Now, the layout of Micah is similar to other prophets. It is one of justice, where Israel is going to get her due. And so in the first three chapters, Micah proclaims judgment and punishment for Israel's failure to use their wealth. Now, When Micah uses the word wealth here, he means more than finance. Micah is pointing to Israel's failure to use their wealth, all of their capital, not only their financial capital, but their emotional, mental, and physical capital as well. Their failure to use that wealth in a way that raises up the poor and the oppressed. So here's how the prophet says it. He says, here, you heads of Jacob and you rulers of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know justice? You who hate the good and love the evil, who tear the skin from off of my people and their flesh from off of their bones, who eat the flesh of my people, who flay their skin from off of them and break their bones into pieces and chop them up like meat in a pot, like flesh in a cauldron. I I should just pause that prophets like to use fairly colorful language to describe the judgment that God is pouring out. Now, because this is true, because Israel has failed to use their wealth on behalf of the poor and the oppressed, this is what God says. He says, then they will cry to the Lord, they being Israel. Then Israel will cry to the Lord, but the Lord will not answer them. He will hide his face from them at that time because because their deeds were evil. Their deeds were evil. Friends, we should be really clear. I think when we hear their deeds were evil, we think of like stealing or killing, right? Micah is talking about a failure to use their wealth for the sake of the poor and the oppressed. And that, in God's eyes, is an evil deed. Now, when we get to chapters four and five, chapters four and five are God's word of promise, praise the Lord, and deliverance. In fact, God promises in chapter four that he himself will establish his rule on earth and that all nations will come under his rule and that he, God himself, through the executing of his justice, will establish peace. Or, as Christopher Jackson made famous in Hamilton, but they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, 
and no one shall make him afraid. A quote from Micah 4. Chapter 5 introduces the one who will bring peace, the one who will be born in Bethlehem and who will, quote, stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. In fact, this ruler, Micah says, will redeem God's people while at the same time defeating their enemies. Now, to be clear, Micah, in Micah, the enemies are other nations, other pagan peoples. So the first three chapters are God's judgment. The next two are words of promise and that a ruler will come who will execute justice and by doing so will bring peace. And so when we get to chapter six, verse one, Micah says, hear what the Lord says. And everybody, every listener expects that Micah is going to continue to proclaim vengeance upon their enemies that he's gonna continue to proclaim vengeance upon the nations, about other people. So imagine Israel's surprise when God has an indictment against them. And what's the indictment? Here it is, let's look at verse eight together. This is the indictment. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk attentively with your God. Now, the version you're reading from probably says something more akin to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. What I read to you is probably a more wooden translation from the original text. It is to do justice, to love steadfast love, and to walk with attention to God. So the indictment, the indictment from God to his people is simply this, that Israel has failed to do justice. They have failed to love the steadfast love of God and they have failed to walk attentively with him. Another way to say this, because Israel is not walking attentively with God, their hearts are not molded by his steadfast love. And without his steadfast love, they can't do justice. So in short, in short, they've failed to remember Israel has failed to remember, to remember the covenant that God made with them and their father Abraham, that he would be their God and they would be his people. See, at the beginning of the chapter, Micah is told to proclaim what the Lord says before the mountains and the hills, these ancient pieces of creation who have been around and who have overheard the covenant. Even if Israel has forgotten what has happened on those mountains and those hills, God is saying that these mountains and these hills, these ancient pieces of creation have not forgotten what has happened on mountains and hills. They haven't forgotten God's 
provision of a ram to be sacrificed instead of Isaac, or Moses' encounter with a, with a burning bush that isn't burning as God reveals himself to humanity, or, or God's delivering of the law to Moses and ultimately to the people of Israel. Micah is essentially saying here, Israel, if you don't remember these things, the mountains and the hills certainly will. God's indictment against Israel is that they have forgotten his work in their life. Now, I I should pause and just say that Micah is writing to Israel at a time when she is relishing in her wealth and in her power and in her privilege. And there has been and continues to be a dangerous path when we acquire power and privilege and wealth. We can become numb to the work of God in our life. We can begin to believe that this power and this privilege and this wealth, that it's, well, it's ours rather than his. And when we do that, we become numb to the needs of the poor and the oppressed, This is essentially God's indictment for Israel. You have failed, you have failed, you've forgotten my work and failed to do yours. You've forgotten that I have seen your oppression at the hands of the Egyptians and that I have redeemed you out of their hand. You've forgotten that I have provided godly men and women to join you as you walk out of that oppression. You've forgotten that I've protected you from those who wanted to lay a burden on your necks again. You've forgotten that I've entered you into a land of freedom, of liberty, and of justice. You've forgotten all these things that I've done for you. God is saying to the people of Israel, you've forgotten my work of justice for you because you have failed to walk attentively with me. You have failed to do this very thing for others that I have done for you. You have not done justice. Now, it'd be really easy to dismiss Micah and to say that Micah is talking to a, to a people, to a culture so different than our own. But friends, it it doesn't take a long look, not only at our own lives, but the life here that we get to share in this United States of America, to understand that we are a people of wealth and of power and of privilege. And like Israel, on that same dangerous path, you and I forget far too easily that that power and that privilege and that wealth are not ours, but gifts given to us to steward. We've failed to remember the work of God in our lives. We've failed to remember that these are gifts to be stewarded out to those who are poor, and oppressed. 
not to make excuses for why they are poor and oppressed, but to steward these gifts which we so dearly possess. More often than not, it's because we've forgotten the work of God in our lives, His work of justice to rescue us from oppression, to give us people in the journey who will walk with us in that journey out of oppression. And finally, His leading us into a place of life and liberty and freedom. We far too easily forget, friends, that you and I are slaves to our own sin. That you and I are shackled to this reality. That we are, as Paul would say in the New Testament, dead in our trespasses. We forget God's steadfast love and his desire for his people to be with him. We forget that God is just, that he gives people what they're due. See, you and I, this sin that we possess, we say it so often in these ancient professions and confessions of our sin that we are by nature sinful and unclean, and we deserve nothing but punishment and judgment. God gives us what we are due. And yet it is in God's steadfast love that he would send his one and only son, who as the prophet Micah reminds us in chapter five, will shepherd his people, who will execute justice and bring about peace. You see, we forget far too easily that this Jesus lived a perfect life. And what was due him, what was due him was a life in eternity with the Father. But instead, instead, Jesus receives what is due for you and for me. He receives punishment and judgment for your sin and mine. He is the one on the cross, not you, not me. God is in fact just and he does give what is due, but in this case he gives it to his one and only son. So that we receive by an act of his grace something that we are not due. Life and liberty and freedom in that good news. We forget far too easily the work of God and the justice that he executes on our behalf so that you and I can have peace. And friends, when we forget, we fail to act. But having been redeemed by Christ, you and I are called to execute justice. Now, there are several things here in this text that I want us to hang on to. Number one, biblical justice. Biblical justice is rooted in the very nature 
and character of God. It is the outworking of that character which is nevertheless just. In other words, God treats everybody equitably. Everyone gets what they're due, whether that's punishment for wrongdoing or protection and care, no matter who you are. Biblical justice is always rooted in the character and the nature of God, one that is redeeming and just. And number two, our doing of justice is only possible when it is powered by the justice that was executed on our behalf. In other words, our justice in the world and the places that we live, work, and play is only possible when powered by the gospel in a recognition that you and I have been redeemed out of oppression and set free into life and to liberty. What is then biblical justice? How are we to understand this thing to which we are called? Well, it is these verses, of course, of Micah that reminds us that God pulls people out of oppression. You and I, having been pulled out of that same oppression, if we are walking attentively with God, we will look for, we will pay attention to all people who are poor or oppressed. And as Micah recounts, God provides people to walk with those who are poor and oppressed out of that journey. You and I called not only to pay attention to the poor and oppressed, but to enter into that journey with them as they walk out of it. And finally, to lead us to a place of freedom. This is what God has done in Christ Jesus. You and I, as we execute biblical justice, friends, we pay attention to the poor and those who are oppressed, and we join them in that journey, and we walk with them until finally they are in a place of freedom, of life, and of liberty. Friends, this is no easy work. It is a hard work, but it is a work to which we are called. And so as we unpack these next two weeks, as we unpack what that actually looks like, I pray that God's Holy Spirit would so soften our hearts to receive this teaching as a gift, not only to this community of faith, but the world in which we live. To God be the glory now and always. Amen? And so may the peace of God which surpasses all human understanding may guard and keep our hearts in Christ Jesus today and every day. Amen.